The path to theological humility cannot be derived from our own human nature because we cannot seek anything other than self-exaltation, even in pursuing knowledge about God. This is the way our human nature goes. Welcome to the Sound Words Podcast and our third episode of the year 2024. Thanks for tuning in. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in this past year and for supporting our channel with likes and subscribes and sharing. Jesse, I was looking at some analytics, and it is a privilege to see that our Sound Words Podcast episodes have gone out from Lincoln to Casablanca, Morocco, to Mumbai, India, all over the world. Wow. And so we're thankful for uh, your support. If this episode has been helpful to you, please do leave a comment on YouTube or on Facebook, Instagram. You can also review the show on Apple Podcasts. And what that does is it helps us reach more people with biblical content. Um, so thank you for your support. Keep, keep sharing these episodes. Today, Pastor Jesse and I are joined by Dr. James Mook, uh, a professor of theology, director of PhD studies, and associate dean of faculty at the Master's Seminary in Los Angeles, California. Dr. Mook, thank you for joining us today on the SoundWords podcast. So happy to be here and to be able to be a part of your ministry today. Dr. Mook, it's a joy to have you on the podcast. Good to see your face. Uh, we, we had lots of face-to-face -face time back at the Master's Seminary when I sat Amen. in your classes for I don't know how many credit hours, uh, but learned so much from you and sitting under your teaching. I, in fact, I brought a few of your theological dicta, which I actually have quoted from our pulpit here at Indian Hills, things like, receive theology from above, don't build it from below. Uh, whoever controls the definition controls the fight. Um, in the Bible, Israel never includes Gentiles, uh, and, and on and on. Beware the simple option. You've just instilled so much wisdom, uh, not only into me, but to all the men that you've trained over the years as a theology faculty member. So just want to say thank you. Thank you for your ministry at Masters, at Capital Bible before that. And that is now flowing into the ministries of various pulpits around the country and the world. Uh, so thank you for your service. Oh, it's been a joy to be used by the Lord and uh, count ourselves blessed and as Jesus said, to just have the attitude at the end that I'm an unworthy servant and I'm always a servant. So Amen. grateful, Amen. grateful, yes. Well, Dr. Mook, one of the last in-person interactions we had before I moved here to Nebraska, we had we had breakfast at Coco's right across the street from the seminary, which you've been so gracious to take your students out and enjoy a meal and fellowship with them. And I do remember in that interaction you mentioning that one of your fields of interest for study coming up in the future was that of theological humility. And that struck me because you're a theology professor, and and to go right to this topic of how to approach theology humbly with theological humility is something I always knew I wanted to ask you more questions about. So that's the topic of our podcast today, theological humility. I'm going to start with a, a maybe more of a a negatively phrased question, though, as we hit the topic of theological humility, which is this. In what ways might the acquisition of, of theological knowledge tempt a Christian to be puffed up? We know from 1 Corinthians 8, uh, verse 1, uh, Paul says a knowledge uh, can puff up or, or, or make one arrogant. So in what ways can the acquisition of theological knowledge lead to one being tempted to not be humble, but rather be arrogant or puffed up? That's a good question, and um, it is 
a topic that is very close to my heart. I've been trying to find a publisher willing to take a, a, a stab at it, but I think it's, it's beyond the interest of publishers right now, but it is my interest. But your question is well taken. Um, uh, there's a saying that knowledge is power. And uh, there's a potential subtle self-exaltation, maybe not so subtle in some, uh, in theological knowledge. Since knowledge about God and his ways is the highest knowledge. And so if I know more about God and his ways than another person, uh, I might think I have more power than another person, uh, especially if that knowledge brings me recognition by others. So what we do not consciously realize, I think, is that we are engaging in self-deification because we're claiming knowledge that only God has, whereas others do not have this knowledge and are therefore merely human in their knowledge and power. But I have the knowledge and you don't. And uh, maybe I, I, I subtly think that because you don't agree with my position theologically, and I might think myself greater than I really am. In that text, Paul makes it clear that we don't know as we ought to know. We don't know as much as we think we should. The problem with deriving exaltation from theological knowledge is that this knowledge shows a self-ignorance about our lack of knowledge, First mm-hmm. Corinthians 8, 2. It's a good reminder about that, that we don't know as much as we think we know. He knows nothing yet as he ought to know. Mm-hmm. That's something we should always have. Maybe put that on our mirror <laughs> in the morning. We don't know anything yet as we ought to know. And, and so uh, we, that should give us pause in how we treat one another in this matter of theological knowledge. But the problem with deriving exaltation from theological knowledge is that it shows self-love and not love for God. Again, in that text, verse 3 commands us, really, it's, uh, if anyone know, loves God, this one is known by him. What we really want to make sure is that God knows us and not that, that we know him exhaustively. We want him to know us exhaustively. And so we need to love God and not ourselves, but theological knowledge can lead uh, to self-love, and that's that's where we always have to be cautious about that. Well, that's helpful. Theological knowledge can lead to self-exaltation and self-love. Thank yeah. you for clearly laying that out for us. Now, can we break things down a bit and talk about definitions? What is theological humility, and how does one pursue it? Theological humility, as I perceive it, is the self-recognition that God is great and I am not. And uh, even in my knowledge of him, it's the recognition that my knowledge about God is always infinitely inferior to his knowledge about himself because I am finite, but God is eternal. So my knowledge about God is, at best, limited to one moment of time and to one thought in that moment. That's all we can contain is one thought in one moment of time. 
whereas his knowledge of himself is without succession of moments and possesses ever conscious, ever active, complete knowledge of himself. All the thoughts that he could possibly think about himself are contained, we don't say all the time, but without succession of moments, completely, exhaustively, consciously. Uh, but we only have one thought in one moment of time. And so theological humility is the recognition of that fact, that we hardly know anything about God. Uh, and in any given moment of time, we know only one thing about God. And, uh, and so we need to recognize that fact and be careful in dealing with brothers and sisters in Christ even if we see that they are genuinely in error, we have to be careful about how we uh, approach them and how we deal with them in these matters. The, this theological humility is not natural to us. And if you want me to go on to the, how to pursue this knowledge, did you want me to just sure. to define yes, it or just go on to the pursuit? Well, the pursuit is not from us. This humility, this theological humility is not natural to us. No humility is. And so this is not natural to us. It, rather, this theological humility is resisted by our naturally limited knowledge as humans in all matters. And in our fallen human nature, it's restricted by our own self-deifying pride. That was Satan's downfall. Mm -hmm. It is uh, the essence of our own sin principle that we still carry around with us, self-deifying pride. Therefore, the path to theological humility cannot be derived from our own human nature because we cannot seek anything other than self-exaltation, even in pursuing knowledge about God. This is the way our human nature goes. Unfortunately, our, as, the, as the hymn writer says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. And that's 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 exactly the point. We are prone to self-exaltation. The pursuit of theological humility must come from outside our human nature. The path to it must come from God. And the only way God gives knowledge to man is through the Word of God. Second uh, Timothy 3, all Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for all things that we need in life. Scripture, by the illuminating power of God, the Holy Spirit, and regeneration and sanctification, is the way to knowledge. Only by the Spirit teaching us about God through regeneration and sanctification by the Word can we begin to receive knowledge of God as ever greater than we are. That's the knowledge, first knowledge we need to have and must always maintain. God is great. We are not. And that comes through knowledge given in regeneration and sanctification. And that knowledge comes through the Holy Spirit by the Word of God. And that's, that's the path to this humility. It's always the path. It has to come from God, not from us. And, and there are good exemplars in the Bible of those who have uh, made this never-ending pursuit in life. And I think most immediately, of course, of David, my 
Life verse is Psalm 145.3. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And literally, to his greatness, there is no searching. And uh, Psalm 145, if you remember, Jesse, I always begin my Theology One course with extended meditation on that, on that yep. chapter. If you want to see the path being tread by a, a very godly man, then you look at Psalm 145. You see David taking that path, and, uh, and he, he is saying his conclusion is that God is great, and there is no searching out his greatness. You never come to the end of it. And so uh, then there is Isaiah 40. My wife and I have been reading through Isaiah in our morning Bible readings providentially. Yesterday, we read Isaiah 40. Today, we were in Isaiah 41. Uh, Isaiah 40 through 48 is a rich context uh, contrasting the true God with the false gods of the nations. And Israel had been seeking out the nations for help and uh, falling under the sway of their false gods. Uh, Isaiah 40 begins a great second section of Isaiah that there's coming a day of comfort and a full redemption and gathering and coming under the rule of the arm of the Lord, and uh, which is the Messiah. So this is promised to them, and yet they must wait for it, must wait for it. Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Literally, they shall exchange their strength. Isaiah is another exemplar of this path of theological knowledge, because at the end of the chapter, he uses the same kind of language that David uses in Psalm 145. Psalm 145, when verse 3, when David says that your greatness is, his greatness is unsearchable or beyond full searching. It's a Hebrew expression, ein chaker. The Hebrew root chakar is used of miners who mine the earth for ore, and they are not satisfied with what's on the surface. They want to fully search out the end of a vein of ore. That's the picture. We can't get to the end of this search. We can't get to the end of the vein. We will never get there because God is always greater than our greatest grasp. And so, uh, at the end of Isaiah 40, it says uh, that his understanding is ain chaker, same, same language. It's beyond understanding. Verse 28, he neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is without searching. This is the God to, to depend on, not the gods of the nations. This is the God to depend on because our understanding will never get to the end will never be complete. There's always more to be known. I believe this is true throughout eternity. And uh, the other exemplar is Paul in Romans 9 through 11, tracing the sovereign working of God with Israel and the Gentiles. He calls Israel and then he sets them aside and then calls the Gentiles to 
create jealousy in Israel, to provoke them to jealousy, and so that in the end, both Jews and Gentiles will will believe in him, in, in Christ. And, um, and Romans chapter 11 ends with that with that great expression of praise. And again, it reflects that, uh, what I call blessed despair, the despair of, of never getting to the end of our search for the, uh, for the fullness of knowledge of God. And, uh, in Romans chapter 11, he just, he just explodes in praise. That's all he can do. It just becomes too much for him. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Here it is. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Paul was another one who experienced that blessed despair. It brought him to the end of himself, and he was overwhelmed and transcended by this God who he sought to know and could not know fully. The knowledge is, is too wonderful. It's, it's beyond him. The pursuit consists of trying to consciously know God's nature and finding that every aspect of God's nature is beyond our most intense intellectual searching. Every aspect. We can't know him exhaustively in any aspect of his being. This is what I call blessed despair. And uh, uh, maybe I should ask Pastor Jesse to to uh, quote my definition, but it's been a while, so (laughs) so I'll quote it for you. (laughs) This uh, blessed despair is the despair of intensely searching out God's nature completely and finding that his nature in any aspect of it is infinitely beyond what we have learned or can learn or reason. The study of God produces a profound despair, but it's a blessed despair because it leads us to wonder and worship. And these glorify God. They fulfill God's purpose for his people, and they fulfill the human soul. We will not be fulfilled in ourselves until we despair of ever knowing God exhaustively in any aspect of his being. When we get to that point, then all we can do is drop down and worship and adore and serve. That's that's what blessed despair does to you. And uh, so that's the essence of theological humility, of this despair that we will ever fully know anything about God. And so that's that's what I want. But there's only one pursuit. There's only one way to get it. And that's from God, through the Word of God, uh, bringing us to that point where we are transcended by God in all of his aspects, and we know that we do not know any of him exhaustively. I, I, I think any believer who is uh, faithful over the years uh, comes to this in his own life. And, uh, of course, you come to it more, more readily if you're consciously seeking God and seeking to know more about him. We get it only from God and only through his word. And the knowledge is never complete. That leads us to the humility, and that leads us to wonder and worship and service. I love it. That is so 
profound and power-packed, and I'm going to encourage our listeners to go back and listen to that segment of what Dr. Mook just shared two or three times, because you covered a lot from humility and, and the, the underlying principle of blessed despair, uh, the result being wonder and worship, uh, the, the, the source, the Word of God, like the, the ore that the miner goes after to, to, to pursue God. There's so much there, and I'd encourage our listeners to make sure they really grabbed onto those truths and, and incorporate them into their lives. We might have to schedule Dr. Mook for a part two, because this has been very rich, very full, <laughs> um, and really edifying. I know, I know it will be to our listeners and to our viewers. So Dr. Mook, just want to say thank you again for joining us and providing the wisdom that I know you're giving to the, the men at the seminary. Now it's going to go uh, to, to our whole audience. From where now? From <laughs> Casablanca Morocco to, to India to all over the world. Go. Yeah. By God's I grace. I think that if we pursue theological humility, we will uh, pursue love for God and love for each other. And that will uh, produce a pursuit of unity with uh, our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so this is important for us personally. If we pursue theological humility, as we see in Isaiah 40, what are we going to do? We're going to wait on the Lord to fulfill his promises. We're going to look for his promises. We're going to seek to know them, and we're going to wait for them with all the much more readiness because we will then have so much more an intense experience and encounter with with the God that we're trying to know. And so that's that's going to increase uh, with theological humility. The waiting on the Lord will increase. And of course, the unity with the brothers and sisters in Christ will increase if we do this the right way. Amen. Amen. Thanks again, Dr. Mook. Pastor Jesse, do you have any last words for the episode today? Yeah, the final word as always goes to God and his word. In 2 Timothy 1.13, where Paul says to Timothy, retain the standard of sound words, which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Thanks for listening.